Guten Tag, Marhaba, Buenos Dias. Welcome back to our 24th episode of the World of Heritage. My name is Stephanie and here with me is Nilufar. Uh, no, that's not it. <laughs> My name is Liana and here with me is Mary. If you caught on from the first sentence that something's different, then kudos to you, my friends. Nilufar and Stephanie have opened up their podcasts and hearts to Mary and I, and we could not be more excited and thankful for being on the team. That's right. This podcast originally started as part of Stephanie and Nilufar's study project. Now, a few months later, that project is still ongoing. We're super excited to be a part of the team, and we hope that you're all excited for future episodes. So for today's episode, we have with us Devashree Vyas. Devashree is a fourth semester World Heritage Study student originally from India with a bachelor's in architecture from Mumbai University. During her studies, she interned with Vikas Delawari Conservation Architects, where she worked on conservation works and project management for heritage buildings in the city of Mumbai. Her design dissertation focused on the welfare of transgendered communities in Mumbai, and she has since gone on to work for NGOs and projects focusing on development plans, rejuvenation, and renewal for historic buildings in Mumbai. Currently, she's working as a student assistant for the Brandenburg Technical University for the Chair of Cultural Management. Devashree, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's really nice. So to get the ball rolling, why did you decide to study architecture for your bachelor's? So honestly, it kind of started as a whim. Uh, I grew up in this very specific surroundings where our parents are all engineers or scientists. And I imagine it's not, not even imagined. I thought that's exactly what I'd be doing. Um, but then just before it was almost too late, I was like, wait, I don't want to do this. This, this is not for me. And it's strange because my mother is actually a trained architect. I don't know why I never thought of it as a profession in the first place. I remember being absolutely obsessed with this big book, these big books of designing that she had. But yeah, I think I think then when the moment struck and when I thought, okay, hey, this is what I want to do, everything just started feeling right, and I just went along with it. So that's that's how that happened. That's really awesome. So I'm curious, were any of the history of architecture courses mandatory during your bachelor's and what area of history were they focused on? Because in my case in Lebanon, we had a lot of history of Western architecture and you really had to kind of go out of your way to get those limited seats to special courses like history of Islamic architecture. And yeah, I really like knowing about how theory is applied in different universities around the world. So what area of history of architecture courses were um, the main focus? So we actually had history of architecture as a subject for three years. It was mandatory for three years. And we kind of zoomed in on Indian history towards the third year. So we also had a very strong foundation of uh, Western historic architecture, all the classic orders, all the oldest civilizations and whatnot. But um, in the third year, we focused only on Indian architecture across across the whole country which is actually quite a bit um and again i wouldn't say across the whole country just the prominent aspects because i'm sure there are a lot that we missed in that we also had uh, an elective subject for architectural conservation which i took in my fourth year which kind of got the whole thing with history and architecture and conservation started for me so after your bachelor's after graduating you started working for the ngo nagar if i'm saying that correctly where you worked on proposals for rejuvenation for historic forts in Greater Mumbai. Could you tell us a little bit about that project? 
uh, yeah, so Nagar was actually a really good experience and I'm super grateful for it. Um, it came at a time when I was struggling to find something and I went through that whole process of looking for jobs and whatnot and there were a lot of people who said, why don't you just go ahead and do something, you know, that's basic architecture, focus on conservation later. But I happened to learn about them, sent them an email and at the same time they were starting off on a project for the forts of Mumbai. Um, these forts are basically a very more or less ignored part of the city's history. Mumbai as we know it today was not at all what it was about 500 years ago. Most of it was reclaimed land and all of these historic forts were from before it was all reclaimed. So they relay a completely different narrative and um, the organization had already worked on an informational book of sorts where they had talked about each of these forts in some detail but they really wanted to come up with a plan with which um, we could advocate with governmental authorities and talk to them about how that because they're all under the jurisdiction of various governmental authorities so we really, we really wanted to take up an initiative where we told them this is what needs to be done and that's what the report was all about and um yeah so i was working on that with them more than all the other projects i think i was focused mainly on that and it was a really good experience it, it taught me a lot about negotiating with governmental authorities which is quite important <laughs> you really having to push for it and say this what needs to be done is common everywhere and i hope that you know this changes and people start to properly think about you know in terms of management and stuff and just what really needs to be done and people start actually thinking about it so you worked with nagar for about three years i have a question when when was it exactly your turning point that made you decide okay now i need to pursue a master's degree do you know exactly to pinpoint it or was it like a series of thoughts or? Uh, actually, to be honest, it was always in the works. I always wanted to do something further after doing architecture, especially when I realized that my interests were more about history and conservation. So it was always something that I was planning on doing. But um, one of the reasons why I actually stuck around for about three years after finishing my degree was that immediately after architecture, I was not in a good state of mind. I, because of many reasons, while in college, I was struggling with uh, many aggravated symptoms of depression and anxiety. And I didn't want to leave home at that stage. I didn't feel like I had enough uh, going to go ahead and work on things. So I think at that point, I just decided to stay home. And then since it was always something I was considering, I felt like um, it was something I was just building towards at some point. And I, I don't think I have an exact moment, but there was a point when I thought, okay, now I think I'm, I'm ready enough to go. Um, luckily, it also turned out that my boyfriend could join me in Europe at about the same time. So I think that became another encouraging source of support. It, it just, I don't know, I think it just felt like, you know, I've, I've done the work I wanted to do so that I could put my foot forward towards other things I wanted to pursue. Yeah, it's like when everything just sort of aligns and you just go, right, it's, it's like the sign from the universe saying, I think it's now the right time to do a master's. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't have, um, I don't know, I, I have never really had like very specific goals towards, okay, this is what I'm doing then. I think I'm just a product of being at the right place at the right time in so many ways. I just got lucky with half of the things I've done. So <laughs> it's more or less that. Perfect timing. <laughs> So looking at your experiences with um, videos for knowledge, so for our listeners, 
it's an interesting way of educating school students on how the world works and addressing tough and confusing questions about life through a series of short animated videos. So my question is, like, how big is the impact on educating school students on their lives? And more specifically, what's your opinion on cultural heritage education? And is there any more that can be done? Uh, so videos for knowledge ended up being one of the nicest things I've been able to work on. And since I think 2016, I've worked on and off with them. It's mainly thanks to the people who founded it. I've just been associated with them through actually family. So I think that has been really nice. And most of them are directly involved with teaching. So through them, I ended up learning a lot because I've never had direct experience with teaching so far. But it was really helpful in, in the sense of learning how much of an impact, not just you can possibly have on kids, but the kind of impact that kids can have on you. So especially when it comes to value education, because I think we're focusing on all of uh, seven of the KIPP values. So I think what's really nice is not just uh, you being able to see how kids are able to ingrain things that you try to communicate to them. We also try to include series of exercises and stuff that they could actually respond uh, so that they could actually respond to the content. And there was so much to learn in just that. There was just so much to learn in the way kids think. And um, a lot of these kids are from marginalized communities. So it was just, I, I, yeah, I think it was really beneficial for me to be, have been a part of this experience. And in terms of cultural heritage education, I think it definitely needs to be brought to even younger school audiences. Culture is just such an inherent part of all of us. And for me personally, I always remain a little bit concerned about the kind of general tone that we end up setting to cultural education sometimes, despite so many global local diversities. We have very specific learning patterns and contents in our history textbooks. Like Leanne also mentioned in, in terms of what we learn, like you kind of have to take an extra step so that you even learn about things which are a part of your local culture and context. In school, I learned a lot about French Revolution, which was of course extremely important given its global relevance, but everything I learned about local history was through interactions outside of school. And and yeah, I, like that, it would be nice if, if something could work out to that effect. And thanks for bringing it up. I actually have a lot of standard thoughts about you know, how there can be cultural heritage for children. And I hope that either through VFK or maybe there's some other platform that I can, you know, go ahead with those thoughts on some level at some point. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's how you learn about culture. It's very dependent on where you are and what is essentially presented to you. Thank you so much for that tapestry. So we're just gonna take a short break. So for our listeners, stay tuned. ATSM uh, in mind when applying or was BTU your first choice? So I actually remember the very first time I came across the World Heritage Studies program here. Um, so I was this odd person in the whole class who cared so much about history of architecture, which other people just basically tolerated more or less. I mean, that's how they took it. I'm not saying that the subject was bad or anything. I mean, nobody thinks that when you're doing a five-year architecture course, you're just going to end up doing something which is not quite related to design any longer. Or that's what I thought back then, because there are so many of us here. So yeah, I, I remember thinking, oh, do I really want to do something else after putting in all of this effort? And I think I was just 
checking out what other options are there and i think i was actually in my college library when i was like okay what can you know history master something like that and there was a btu poster and i think at that point the older poster had this nice visual of um you know I, i think hands having rangoli and holy colors and i was like oh this this seems to resonate with me a little bit this this looks good and i really like the whole um course program in terms of how diverse it was how many courses it offered so that's why i always had it in mind and then when i came to applying i finally did apply here i also applied to ucl in york and i got in there but then i just i mean i like the number of years here i i, I felt it would give me more time and more scope to study so so i, I just decided to come here so yeah it was my first choice in a way for a long long time well we're happy that you picked btu <laughs> so in terms of actually moving what was the biggest challenge from moving from india to germany i think the biggest challenge was how unprepared i was when it came to the move because there are so many people in your life is i mean especially in india and so many people that i know who left homes and went and settled in different places including my own elder brother so i thought it was going to be routine a part of everyone's life but i think when i came here it was the first time i dealt with homesickness and loneliness and mumbai is loud and cottbus is just the very opposite the silence is deafening and then you and then you come and then there's winter and you've never seen a winter like that from where i mean in in terms of the tropical climate i've been used to so i think not knowing what to expect and then being completely blindsided by it was was something that was a big challenge um language of course because i did not take deutsch courses before coming here but i i i've had good experiences in cottbus so far everyone's nice everyone is nice when they feel like you're trying and everyone tries from their end so i think that worked out well but yeah i think those for me i think the, the challenges were mainly in terms of how it affected my mental health other than that i think i adapted to studies and courses quite well how do you find living in cottbus like do you have a go to place somewhere you would really recommend students to see i also realized i'm i mean i love cottbus which is something i realized most people don't say because i think everyone really enjoys being outside and being in in a more bustling environment but i kind of i mean even though i'm from mumbai i kind of grew up in a place which is very similar to cottbus you can walk everywhere it gets very green when it rains so i think in that sense i really love cottbus unfortunately i haven't really lived here much to know all its nooks and crannies but i think what i enjoy the most is going on really long walks um to different parks that we have i went to Branitsa Park for the first time on my own, and I think it was all, and it was just really nice to see. And I think that will always be special for me, because I remember feeling extremely cooped up and thinking, "Why am I not going anywhere? I have to go somewhere." And then that's when I ended up going, and I think that is quite nice. So I don't know. I feel like everyone discovers a site to Cottbus on their own and ends up liking it. So I'm actually someone who should ask about musty places, but I really like how nice and quiet and solitary it can feel sometimes. Yeah, I think that's one of the things like moving from a city to somewhere quiet like Cottbus, it's always this how quiet it is that throws you off the first time. But since you started the program, have you actually been able to travel like pandemic aside, like pre-pandemic or even during pandemic, um 
have you been able to travel? And if so, like what has been your favorite place that you've been able to visit? Yeah, so of course, travel and pandemic go hand in hand these days, don't they? Like you ask one, you have to ask about how the other affected it. Uh, funnily enough, I've done just about every semester in a different place. One was in Cottbus, two was in India, three was kind of in Cottbus, and for a while I was in Switzerland with my boyfriend, which is the only place I've been able to travel to. From there, I went to Lyon and see at again about the quietest times of the year. I think it was the New Year's weekend and it was so quiet. And I remember that people really wanted to go there because they thought it would be happening. But I I, I was really happy. I was secretly rejoicing the whole idea of just sitting, you know, in, in the hotel room and bringing in the new year without without any noise. Yeah, people with me don't, I, I don't think people enjoy traveling much with me. But but no, I, I really enjoyed going to the couple of places I did. I haven't been able to go around much. Maybe later, I don't know. We're all, we're all just waiting on the pandemic. But Lyon is an amazing place to go to because I think they have a lot of beautiful heritage sites and they seem to have a lot of museums. So I would like to go there again whenever they're a bit more open. But I think that's one place I'd definitely mention. It's the one place in Europe where I have all these nice pictures of visiting, so I'm just going to go with that. And yeah, so now we're going to take a break from part two and we're going to slowly get into part three soon, so stay tuned. And we're back. So Devashree, considering that you started your studies in 2019 before the event, before the pandemic, how have you found the World Heritage Studies program, both in person and online? Uh, we become so polite when we're talking about the pandemic, the event. But I, I miss people. I miss the campus. I mean, I was visiting India back in 2020, February, when things were, you know, normal-ish, kind of. And then I realized, oh, I will not be able to go back. And then I remember having complete meltdown about the possibility that my education may no longer continue. Of course, that worked out. So I'm super grateful as to how the university managed, you know, three semesters now in the pandemic, especially the first one, because I think none of us had any clue over what was happening. We were all hoping for better days. We all thought this is going to blow over soon. We're going to be fine. We're just going to have to make do with a little bit of this Zoom and whatnot which I still don't think I've really caught on to. There are, there are times I don't remember to unmute myself. I mean, you'd think one whole year and I'd remember. But no, but I really miss the campus. I think when I came back to Cottbus in October, it was so strange. Even though Cottbus is always quiet, it was just strange not to see anyone around and just this, you know, it was strange. And uh, I miss I miss having the classes physically, I think there were so many interactions that we all used to have. We'd just bump into each other. All of those things which would become, you know, longer stories, we'd, we'd ask what we're working on, we'd find out each other's histories and, you know, little things which we completely miss now because we just have time slots when we log in and log out. Uh, I I do feel that we really, we, like all three of us are from the 2019 intake and I, I at least feel glad that we were able to meet each all each other once and the professors once so we knew how to interact with people at least we had that so you know I, I don't know how it must have been for people who joined on right on to an online semester I don't know how it's been but I think on the whole I'm just grateful that it took place because it's I mean 
things are pretty bad out there in the world so i think it's it's, it's a really great thing that we were able to continue at least on track to whatever extent possible that's so true that at least we're able to continue and i also really love how you said i miss people because i feel like that's part of the reason why nilofar and stephanie started this study project and it was about like integrating and people and trying to get them to interact with each other and just sharing each other's stories somehow and their experiences so i feel like that's always good to know that you know you're not the only one out there feeling this way so I have a question about what was your favorite class so far? Whether it was in presence or online, doesn't matter. And would you recommend it to future students? Can you guys honestly pick just one class? I can't believe you threw that question at me. But <laughs> like, so I, I mean, more than anything else, I think it was really cool that we got to take architectural conservation with Professor Dr. Leo Schmidt. I am, I mean, I know the class is pretty great even now, but I think it was really nice to have all of those experiences, so many guest lecturers coming and talking about it. Plus it's it's the class where you which you could really associate with the offline mode because it was in, in you know in, in our big auditorium and it just had a whole different tempo to it, which was really nice. And I and I think there are so many people who can take that class in terms of programs. So you'd bump into a lot of people, get to know each other. And it was really cool, I think, but definitely can't pick one. I would, I mean, there have been so many amazing classes. I love taking discourses on culture and heritage in my first semester. And finance and fundraising was amazing in terms of how much it taught. Yeah, it's really difficult to just pick one class. Even the study project, which, which actually ended up with, with this podcast and so many other projects was so nice because the way that everybody came up with such cool individual projects. I mean, I remember discussing this back in class as well, that all of us actually have really diverse ideas and they all took shape in different ways. And I think that was really fun. So I think that was also an amazing class. But yeah, it's difficult to pick one. I, I, that's, that's a whole other thing. Anyone who wants recommendations, contact me privately. I'll talk about all the classes. <laughs> Yeah, there are just far too many good classes to pick from. It's 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 too cruel to make one person pick one. <laughs> Apart from classes, so how have you been involved with student activities in the university, both in person and online? And what is it that you do? And why did you get decide to get involved with the university? Um, I think so far I've had the chance to be involved with the Heritage Studies Student Council which has been a really nice experience just in terms of the things, the way that we've been able to interact all of us with each other and otherwise. Um, I think one of the reasons why I just wanted to get involved and then was fortunately elected was that it was really nice to have this sense of welcome from, you know, our previous Tuko. When we first came, there was like the welcome package and whatnot. And it felt like such a nice thing to be able to do for others. And I think that's that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to be on board for that. I'm also kindly involved with the Indian Students Association Corpus, which has also been a good experience. There are a lot of us uh, on there. So it's, it's kind of nice to be able to interact. Uh, most of the work I've done, I mean, most of the work I've done for both of these has been online, so largely trying to do things by social media, trying to keep whatever tempo is up whenever possible. Um, because of the um, 
I don't know how many people are very well aware of this, but the university also offers um, Tibet scholarships every semester. And I was lucky enough to get it for the past two semesters and both based on both of that, I've, I've again tried to set up voluntary initiatives. The first in the previous semester was something called uh, Fora. So the whole idea was to just get people talking whenever it was possible. And I also tried to come up with this thing where we had something like a quiet hour, where we would just you know have virtual presence of each other and try and work on different things because it was so difficult to stay motivated. And there's something I'm working on for this semester, which is something I wanted to do since 2019. The moment I realized that BTU does not have a book club, I it's it's kind of in the works. I think you'll hear the exact announcement or formal, you know, procedure very shortly because it's it's high time I worked on it. But yeah, I love reading and books, so I think that's definitely something that I want to set up to the best of my possibility in any case because. Because I know people who love reading love talk, talking about the things they read. So I, I just really want to try and create that space. I love yeah. that. So with regards to thesis, I mean, maybe it's me to ask <laughs> from now. I know it's we've just begun fourth semester, but do you have some ideas of what you want to write about? Like shortly, briefly, just throw at us whatever you think. Yeah, shortly, briefly, whatever I think is all I have at the moment. Same. <laughs> I have a, I have a so, uh, Mary and Jen and Shari and Nicole have been working on the thesis brain trust. There's been, you know, at least this sense of you've got this, which which flickers in and out, admittedly, but still at least this sense of, you know, hey, there's some direction. It's going somewhere. Um, for a while, I've been interested in kind of um, researching and writing more about the connection between how heritage can be an asset for individual and societal well-being. There are different ways of looking at it, so I still don't know which exact area I want to go into further to this. But there's there've been there's, there's there are active studies over how the heritage, like being able to engage with heritage and memory making or other heritage making practices, have been beneficial to people's well being, and that's kind of the area I'm looking at. That to get specific, I don't know how I would go further into it. I don't know if I'm taking a specific area or a region or even looking at a post-trauma landscape where it can be a means of reconciliation so there are a lot of different ideas but those other three have just been you know in the fringes of so let's see something along those lines i hope i find out soon you will it's it's like it's best way to describe thesis process it's like making a stone axe first you have something just a blob of stone and then you just keep chipping in and refining it until eventually it's something presentable but you you'll figure something out with it everyone yeah, knows. I yeah i think i read uh, something along the lines of uh, it was in one of the books um I think that they talked about I'm writing everything that it's not before I can get to the point where it is. So the process of elimination at the moment. Hey, if it works, it works. <laughs> so one thing I'd like to ask you is, um, it's especially for students who are new to starting in the heritage field. Like I know from my own experience, I was pretty clueless about some organizations like ICOMOS and ICROM. So I wanted to ask, um, when did you become a member of ICOMOS India and how has your overall experience been in terms of like activities or initiatives that they do? Like, have you been able to get involved with them? Um, yeah, I, frankly, when I was quite clueless in general before as to, you know, which of the places do you go to? 
but I did know about some of the work Icomos was doing. So um, Icomos India at least opens its cycles for new intake sometime uh, around October, November, December. So it was, I think, just after I came here. Um, so maybe in November 2019 was when I signed up to be a member. And then since then I was there. And we also immediately after that, we also have a cycle opening up for the Emerging Professionals Working Group of Icomos India. So I am involved with that as well as one of the National Scientific Committees for Intangible Cultural Heritage. That was also an interesting experience because before coming here, I didn't think much about intangible cultural heritage. And then I came here and then I learned about there are so I learned about how there are so many ways of looking at heritage. And I thought, hey, this, this seems like an NSC I might be able to contribute to. And then I do join, and then you know, there are all of these experts who already work with this. So here I am learning about intangible cultural heritage and what it means, and everyone has great experience so far but I think it worked out to some extent because it just means that whatever I'm working on or researching I'm, I can at least you know learn from people who are doing great work and we have been currently working on making a repository for ICH across India um, it, it's, it's kind of in progress we had a lot of meetings initially to see what existing research we have we're in communication with other organizations and bodies across India so that we can get more information from the people themselves who are practitioners so that's how it's going and even it, it's it's been nice it's been nice to be able to interact with people who work on the field um, within India and outside of India and all of their experiences so far so it's yeah, so it's, it's good. I really recommend it because I think it I think it's really nice to have that kind of a network, not just in terms of profession, just just even the way you're able to discuss and engage with people who pretty much have the same interests and you might end up realizing exactly what you want to do. So I think that's great. Definitely. Thank you so much, Devashi, for sharing your story with us today. We hope you had fun with us and Hope you have a great semester. Thanks to everyone listening to Devashi's story and supporting the podcast along the way. We've had such a pleasure to see our classmates and get to know them more. And we are so excited to share all the stories with you guys. Be sure to check out next week's 25th episode where we'll be interviewing fourth semester student Rabea Hoffman. Be sure to stay tuned for the newest episodes. Interested in sharing your thoughts and stories? Feel free to contact us. You can reach out to us on Instagram, The World of Heritage, or by email. Thanks again for tuning in. Danke schön, merci, gracias, and goodbye.